Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. All right, we are in effect. Okay, back in the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And this time, this is a special connection to the community movement builders, but more so my brother in arms and one of the people I do a lot of this work when people talk about social entrepreneurship and community efforts, one of the heavy wings of boots on the grounds is through Youssef Shakur. And Youssef Shakur is bringing some of his big homies with us. And we know his big homies are the Black Panther Party. And we have one of the original Panthers in full effect from the L.A. chapter here to bless us in Detroit. We got Harold Taylor. Mr. Taylor, how you feeling today? That's a beautiful introduction. I'm doing just great. Okay. All right. So um, let's get a little bit into the Panther Party because uh, we, we've heard about it. It's definitely in pop culture. A lot of people romanticize it. Uh, we hear a lot of people were down with it. You were actually in it. So right. um, what led you to the Black Panther Party? Well, in 1967, well, 66 is when the party started in Oakland. I... Uh, I was in a juvenile, uh, I, not a juvenile camp, I was in the county jail in Los Angeles when, uh, in 67 when they marched on the Capitol in Sacramento, California. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like all my life I was looking to be affiliated with a, a group of black men and women that wanted to do something about some of the problems that was uh, in the community mm -hmm. and the exploitation of the black community and the police brutality and uh, the opportunity to serve the people and create something on self-defense to let the oppressor know that we wasn't going to lay down and just let them to continue to brutalize and kill us. Mm. That we were prepared to uh, take a stand and defend the community by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. We all looked at ourselves as uh, the nephews of uh, Malcolm X, the nieces and nephews of Malcolm X. And uh, Bunchy Carter was uh, instrumental in the L.A. chapter. Uh, along with the Freeman brothers, Ronald and Roland Freeman, who re helped rec who recruited me into the party in 67. So I joined the Black Panther Party under, uh, under the banner of uh, self-defense. Okay. Because the, the Black Panther Party I had joined was the Black Panther Party for self-defense before it just became just the Black Panther Party. And uh, Emmett Till was significant at that time because we all grew up, uh, we were war babies. Most of us were born in the 40s mm -hmm. or the late 30s. And we all experienced the 50s and saw how the brutality and murder of Emmett Till and those four little girls in Birmingham, Alabama that were blew up in that church back in 63. But mm -hmm. still, but uh, we all know that uh, Emmett Till died in the late 50s. I think it was 1957. And we were all children at that time. Well, young men. I think I was 12, maybe 11 years old. But at that time, we all experienced the brutality and saw that our fathers and our uncles, what they went through. And a lot of us came together and decided that we wasn't going to have that. Yeah. We wanted to change. And, uh, we felt like marching wasn't going to get us what we wanted. And we was willing and prepared to lay down our lives in order to protect our community and enhance our community and to build our community and to make it safe for our children to come out and play and to make it safe for uh, the seniors can walk the streets and be able to go to the store 
without having to worry about getting their purses snatches, snatched or getting robbed, uh, being just uh, brutalized and disrespected. Yeah. We wanted to clean out all the dope houses in the community. All the ill things that was happening in the black community, we wanted to be able to walk up to them and, that, and tell them that we weren't going to have that anymore. And as of today, the Black Panther Party was uh, making a statement that you're going to have to leave our community and don't come back. And if you're not there to make it uh, profitable for the community as a whole, then you couldn't function in that community. So connected to that, let's talk about the scene and what led to the environment in and around there. Because, uh, you know, there are some historic cities mm -hmm. in, in this papiana, what we call American history. Right. In Los Angeles, when we think about what uh, the 20th century meant, and especially in like 1940s, that's a different type of L.A. Right. that was getting settled. Uh, right. The neighborhoods, the people, but especially right. that call to action of the black folks that went west. Right. Far west to L.A. Big migration. So what uh, what was it like in and around there? You speak about the police brutality, but just the, the tone. What was the community? Uh, where were the people from? Uh, what what was the neighborhood like in L.A. that you remember at, that you were growing up in? And, and 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 at that point in time, what was what was bringing together the, the like minds of young brothers and sisters such as yourself? OK. That's, that's really good. Uh, the Los Angeles I grew up in is that right after the World War II, a lot of the big migration came with jobs were opening on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And uh, before the war, when they was building a lot of war material, jobs were there. And mostly uh, the white Americans in, in, North, I mean in, in California were all in the military. They had left and a lot of jobs became open. And my mother was working in factories, military factories, building war supplies and stuff like that. Well, it was a different kind of L.A. because the migrants were like from Louisiana. You know, if you ever look at the history of the Black Panther Party, most of us, our parents come from Mississippi, Texas, and Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And uh, the community was always concentrated on each one, teach one, each one take care of the other. Mm -hmm. They say uh, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it took the whole community to raise us all. Everybody was somebody's aunt or uncle or somebody's mother, grandmother. Mm -hmm. We looked out for each other. And, and for the people listening, uh, what were those neighborhoods where black folks were at? Because, I mean, just even in my lifetime, it seems like L.A. has completely changed over. Like completely, my, my cousin, completely. My, uh, my sister and cousin are in Inglewood, and right. even that I see changing. What, where were black Whoa. folks at? What were the streets and the neighborhoods? Okay. <laughs> Central Avenue, brother. Mm -hmm. 41st and uh, Central, right, uh, say from uh, downtown Los Angeles, down Central Avenue, which was like, like Harlem. Mm. It's like Harlem back in the day. Central Avenue was the hub. The best description I can give you of, of Central Avenue is a movie that was made called Devil in the Blue Dress with Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah, That I've movie seen that. depicted Central Avenue the way I remember it as a child when my uncles used to take me to Central Avenue. Uh, my mom would take us up to the shop. We had theaters. I mean, uh, you had dime stores. You had black businesses all over the community. We were mm -hmm. uh, pretty much isolated because all you had was Central Avenue and Watts. Mm. We were concentrated in those areas. There was no Compton. When I was a kid, Compton was a, a, a giant orange grove. 
Hmm. We used to go over there to have orange fights, you know, hmm. throwing oranges at each other. And uh, it was nothing there, you know, just a bunch of orange groves. So, so Watts and Central, and Central Avenue, Avenue was the precipice right. of, of that black community. And you talk about Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, further out west, as we know, you know, uh, like I tell people, the train lines. Because right, right, some people out west would go uh, Chicago, St. Louis, and, you know, the people here in Detroit, it's a lot of Georgia, Alabama, you know, yeah, you further like, east. I, I noticed mostly uh, back in those days in the cities, the, it's always railroad tracks that divided communities. The white community was on one side of the tracks. Mm. We were on the other side of the tracks. And we were forbidden, forbidden to go across it, you know, the white community. And, and when you talk about that, you talked about police brutality being one of those reasons. Right. And as that, quote unquote, West was being settled. Right. Uh, a lot of those, as we call them, uh, you know, the, 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 the adage. And now we talk about it almost like it's a joke. But sundown towns and a lot of those laws right. out West right. were more were definitely very oppressive towards black people yeah. and other people of color, but especially black people. They used to have a sign on the Alameda going into Southgate, which was a, a the white community. It had a sign up right there by the railroad track that says, uh, white folks come through here moving fast, niggas come through here hauling ass. So don't mm. let the sun catch you over here, nigga. You know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a, that's what they used to call them spook hunters. They would come across the tracks at nighttime and try to find isolated groups of black people to attack, harass, and terrorize. This is how uh, gangs formulated in Los Angeles. Wow. It was, not, it was more like social clubs than gangs, but was mainly designed to protect ourselves against the spook hunters. Mm. They had gangs back in the days like the Orientals, the Egyptians, the businessmen, the Dell Vikings, they had different games in different parts of town or L.A., but we were all on the east side. Inglewood was a white community. Hmm. We weren't even allowed in Inglewood. Wow. Only time you can go in the white community if your mother, uh, your father worked over there and, and was carrying a rake or carrying lawnmowers to go cut white folks' grass, huh. you know, to go clean white people's houses. You know, it was always, what are you doing over here, nigga? Mm. You know? So that was before the Watts Rise in 65. After uh, Malcolm X was killed in 65, the big change came in L.A. Yeah. Because people seem to forget that just a few months after Malcolm was killed, the Watts Riot came about in 65 in August. Mm -hmm. You know? And, 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 and we hear these stories, you know, I'm from Detroit, but I, I'm just a, a, a fan of history. Uh, definitely Detroit's history, but black history as well. And we right. hear these stories and even that relationship that uh, that that some of these historic, staunchly Republican and conservative idealists, mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan, George Bush, and their families, mm -hmm. were all followed in this model of racism that was built from a lot of those L.A. politics then. There you go. That's when, uh, like in 65, Ron Karenga came about in 66 mm -hmm. it's funny how uh us organization was formed around the same time the black panther party was mm. formed the black panther party was formed in oakland in 66. ron karenga and us organization formed in la in 66. okay right after the watts riots so so just i guess moving past as you as you're getting 
older and you're a part of the Panther Party. Right. And, and at this time in the late 60s, a lot of things and consciousness is changing across the nation. Mm-hmm. But what were the connections of the brothers in Oakland to come to L.A. to, to formulate a chapter? Because this isn't like, you know, it's, it's not the... Uh, you know, this isn't like a, 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 a the, the the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts or something. Like, I mean, what was the formulation? How was the trust built? How how did uh, the Black Panther Party decide to say, okay, a chapter in L.A. is needed? And then furthermore, well, let's just start there. How did the L.A. chapter start? Okay, that's, man, that's beautiful because it's a beautiful thing. It wasn't so much that the Oakland Central Committee in Oakland came to L.A., to form a branch or chapter. It was Bunchy's idea. Hmm. Him and Eldridge Cleaver were together in prison. Okay. And they had formulated a group called the Mile Mile, mm-hmm. which they all took an oath to uh, support and defend the black community. And uh, him and Eldridge had planned to formulate this organization when they got out of prison. Well, Eldridge got out first. Eldridge got attracted to the Black Panther Party. Yeah. While he was up in San Francisco working for Rampart Magazine. Mm-hmm. Well, when Bunchy came out, he hooks up with Eldridge. Eldridge tells Bunchy about the Black Panther Party. Bunchy didn't know much about it other than what he read or what he was hearing because he was in prison. Yeah. Well, he wanted to continue to formulate the organization they had talked about in prison. But then Bunchy des- decided that he would go along with the party and he requested that he create a chapter in L.A. Wow. And uh, the party agreed to it. It was Huey, Bobby, uh, David Hilliard, and a few other people. A big man, they were still, big man was still, uh, uh, was in the party at the time, little Bobby Hutton. Mm-hmm. They agreed to let Bunchy do this, an Eldridge. Well, when Bunchy came to, back to home to L.A., he started going through his old group. He used to be uh, leader of the, Slawson's from Slawson Village. Mm-hmm. The Renegades of Slawson was Bunchy's gang. Mm. It was uh, one of the biggest gangs in L.A. And Bunchy was the leader of that gang. And Bunchy had, uh, he, he had the, the credentials and the credibility and the respect of the community. So the street soldiers already were walking with Bunchy. Always, always. Bunchy so was, Bunchy's validation of the Panther Party more so validated the Panther Party in L.A. more so go. than it was the Panther Party in Oakland validating Bunchy there to say, go. all right, the L.A. people interested in the Panthers can join him. It was like, all right, I already have I have the, the troops. I have the soldiers with already me. Already got them. I'm already there. And, and I see what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. How did the L.A. chapter decide to, like, uh, move forward with business knowing that, you know, uh, the Oakland chapter had its its affairs and other chapters would do things different ways. I'm learning more about what the Detroit chapter was doing. Mm-hmm. What uh how did you all go about your business differently than uh than like the Oakland like how did how did the LA Panthers mm-hmm. engage with the community? Okay. First of all, you, you got to understand that Bunchy Carter, apprentice Bunchy Carter, very disciplined man. He was a, a man of principle. And he believed in discipline and self-discipline and strength and working from a position of strength. And his way of organizing the community is that you must develop the, sensitiv- the sensitivity to the needs of the community. Mm-hmm. We got to find things that's what's wrong in the community and what the people want. 
In other words, we're not going to shove nothing down the people's throat. We need to go to the people and ask them, what do you want, what do you need, and what's important, what are your priorities? Okay. So what Bunchy would do is that, that first, uh, when the first party first started in L.A. at the Black Congress, which was a bunch of different organizations in L.A. in one big building. Mm-hmm. Even us organization was in there. The NAACP, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SNCC, everybody's in this one big building. A bunch of wanted to strike out of there and get our own building so we could be independent of all the other organizations. Bullshit that was yeah, going on. Yeah. All right? And uh, what we did is establish our own office, and we went to the community with clipboards. And, we, and he broke it up into sections, L.A. Section 1A was my section, was the first mm-hmm. section in L.A. Well, if you lived in Section 1A, you had a map where you divided the city of Los, Los Angeles. So you had four sections, 1A, 2A, 3A, and 4A. Mm-hmm. 1A was the first branch, called chapter. Branch, really. Yeah. That was my branch. And I lived down the street from that. We opened an office on the corner. But what we did is he gave us all clipboards and, and notepads, legal, legal uh, notepads, you know, yellow paper, right? Mm-hmm. And go through the community, knock on doors. And and, and you guys are soldiers, so like yeah. this is uh, this, this is these organizational new. skills, you know, because this is this is canvassing. I'm I'm gonna throw I'm, I'm gonna throw out like the jargon on top, because that's usually what you know when I say like uh, these words, you know, the words can definitely trip people up in that vocabulary. But you're touching the people, but they call that cab- canvassing and engaging. Yeah. But you, you got some street soldiers that's but really out here yeah. doing this. But before you could do that, see, mm-hmm. this is what Betty Bunch is such a great organizer. He had a program. Mm. You cannot go out there and talk about the Black Panther Party unless you knew the 10-point program, the rules of the party, right? Be able to explain it, okay? Mm-hmm. You had to be able to say what, what, what we want, what... Basically, if you ever look at the 10-point program, it's almost the same thing as Nation of Islam has on the back of their newspaper. Yeah. So we, t- we borrowed from them mm-hmm. because they were good points and things that we could use. Mm-hmm. His thing was that you could not educate the people if you're not educated yourself. So we had to have political education classes. Bunchy would insist that you read certain books and give him a book report. What, uh, what books? France Fanon's Wretched of the Earth. Mm. A must read was uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Hmm. Uh, uh, different things on, on, on colonialism as far as in, in Africa. Yeah. The revolution in, in Algiers. Mm. The Battle of Algiers. That was a film they made on the Battle of Algiers. But they also had books. Fanon had The Wretched of the Earth and Black Face, White Mass on colonialism in Africa. We had to learn different geography. We had to learn the geography of our city. We had to be able to go to anybody, any neighborhood in the community and explain the same thing that's been explained to them by different people from different chapters. We had to be have one program. Wow. None of this, you could not add what you wanted to do with it. You had to do what we had already set up, what mm. works. And the main thing was find out what is needed in the community and start working on those things. Like for instance, it was uh, black women in my community, older the seniors. I like to be able to go to the store without worrying about my check being taken from me when I come out of the store before yeah. I go in. We start posting people out and sending people to go pick up people 
to go take them to cash their checks, to mm -hmm. take them to the store. And we not notified and put, on, and put them on a, we let people know, the, the people in the community. I'm talking about the thugs and the, the thieves, that these are our people and you're not going to be able to do this no more. The drug dealers, we did the same thing with them. We made it safe for kids to come back out and play. We took back over the parks so kids could go play in the parks. But people weren't afraid to walk the streets. Well, we drew a lot of attention. But uh, what really got us is when the breakfast program came about. Yeah. Designing that breakfast program, which was how Bunchy laid it out for us. Hmm. There were uh, numerous stores in the black community, different groups that come in to the United States from different countries. First thing they would do was come into the black community and open up their stores and take all the resources from the community and take it and build their community. Still, still happening today, Sam. Today. <laughs> yeah. We saw that. Yeah. And Bunchy said, well, hey, you got to make a contribution. So mm. we go to the stores and ask them, hey, we'd like to get a couple of dozen eggs from you once a week. Can you handle that to help the community? You're making money, get something back. Yeah. We never had any arguments about that. You had some people that would do donate maybe a, a, a crate of eggs. Yeah. Somebody would do a, a case of milk. Somebody would do oatmeal. Mm -hmm. Somebody would do grits. Somebody would do meat. And we would have a set it up where we'd make a circle on a map. And we would pick up all of that food. Yeah. But we'd also go to the churches in the community and get used to their kitchens. Right? And convince them that we'll clean up behind ourselves. Yeah. And there won't be nothing going on. Everything is legit. Mm -hmm. And we would put petitions out letting people know we're establishing this breakfast program for the community to come and the kids can go to school and eat. And that's why I know me personally and I think many others are so inspired by the work of the Black Panther Party because you all were so young so organized, so driven, and so focused. Um, and, and you were experiencing that. And then in this organization, as you're engaging people around political education, the truth about the white supremacy that exists, the Panther Party is now infiltrated with Dylan head-on. Mm-hmm with this American government mm -hmm. um, targeting the Panther Party mm -hmm. and, and to, to destruct, Destroy. corrupt, and, 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 and break down with chaos and confusion people that are just community organizers. See, but you, you've got to look at it, brother. We all are products of uh, our conditions. Conditions dictate what we do. The conditions that we were forced to live up under dictated what we were going to do. And at 19 years old, you ain't got sense enough to be afraid of nothing. Hmm. Okay? Hmm. And uh, <laughs> I didn't, me and people like me, we weren't afraid. Mm -hmm. We never expected to live past 25. Wow. You got to understand, Bunchy Carter died at the age of 26. Hmm. All right? Now you look at Fred Hampton, 21 years old. Yeah. A genius. All yeah. right? We yeah. were motivated by the needs of our people, you know? My uncles took me when I was a kid and taught me how to be a man. 
directed me towards Malcolm X, W.B. Du Bois, you know, books like that. Things that to the effect of uh, Paul Robeson, how great he was. That's in the 30s and the 20s. Yeah. You know, Marcus Garvey, how yeah. great he was. Yeah. I mean, my uncles were Garveyites. Wow. That's, that's, that's deep because when I think of the, the government, and they still really suppress that story of what Garveyites and, how they, and the movement of Marcus Garvey and what the UNIA was, but that was really the inception of of uh, when people wonder why I have such a strong problem against the FBI. CoinTelPro. Uh, CoinTelPro, but more so just it's against the whole idea of being, you know, being innocent till proven guilty because right. they establish who a target is and say we're going to track whoever these people are and their family, their right. friends, and everything they do until we bring this person down. The FBI does not do business in a, in a, in a in the standings of what America says is legal grounds because you are completely guilty. Right. I, they I, establish I, you as a target and you're guilty. I'll and be I'll be 73 years old in December. Mm. Okay? Mm. Uh I know about the FBI through COINTELPRO. Mm -hmm. I've experienced with them in uh most of my adult life. Yeah. Uh I've not I haven't uh in 1971, I was set up by the FBI in, a, in the Quarantel Pro program. Wow. Where me and two other brothers were set up to be assassinated. Huh. Where they uh, lured us into a position where they attacked us. Huh. And shot into a car over 250 times, shooting all of wow. us. They shot me six times. My other comrade, they shot him about five to six times. Another wow. one that shot him in the back. We all lived. Ain't that something. They drug us out of this car and we all lived. Huh. And uh, I went to trial for that. I got found not guilty. I had six counts of attempted murder on the police. Hmm. I got found not guilty. It took me four years to win that case. Wow. What, well, what attorney? Uh, a lady, a female. Her name is Beth Livesey. She's passed away now. Okay. Well, rest in peace. And uh, Oh, well, I started off with Johnny Cochran, but I fired Johnny Cochran. Mm, why you fired uh, Johnny Cochran? Was Cochran. A, I, I love Johnny. Yeah. You know, and I told him, I said, you know, JC, man, uh, I love your work. But you can't handle this case and Geronimo's case, too. At the same time. It's yeah. too much, you know, yeah. because it went so deep. It goes in other areas because you, this T-shirt I got on, it says uh. free to San Francisco 8. Yeah. Okay. That's me and eight of my com and seven of my comrades got indicted. Not, not indicted, but charged with a murder that happened in 1971 hmm. on a police officer on a raid. Well, a group of black men went into a police station and shot it up and killed a police officer. Yeah. And they looking for these people for over 40 years, 30 years. Mm. They come to the conclusion that it was, I was involved, that's what they say, and me and a group of brothers. And they came and arrested us for this murder in, 70, in 2007. Wow. I lived in Florida. I had to leave the state of California to go to Florida to keep a job. To take mm. care of my family because the FBI came on every job I ever had and told my employer he's a communist, and he's a, a racist, and that's he's a terrorist. Level. That's that's that is the the business of what this and that's this the federal government. That's, yeah. that's what they do. Yeah, and uh, I mean even my employer, you're a good man, Harold. And, and love and, your work. And how old are you? Uh, how old are you at, at two th in 2007? How old are you? 
50-something years old. 50, a 50-year-old 50 man. 57 years old. 57 well, wait a minute. years old. The oldest brother's in his 70s, Hank Jones. <laughs> All right? I'm the, I'm the baby uh, of the group. But I know these brothers, man. Yeah. And uh, I had seen half of them in 30 years. Wow. They put us all together, brought some, dip, brought Cisco from San Francisco, I mean New York, mm. brought me from Panama City, Florida, huh. brought Richard Brown from San Francisco, Hank Jones from Pasadena, Ray Boudreaux from Altadena, Richard O'Neill from San Francisco, and put us all together, and I hadn't seen these cats in years. Yeah. And they said, we'll put them together, somebody will talk. And this is uh, this this these are the tactics of this government. Uh, and, we win, we win this case now. Now, with that, the the work today, and you saw the organizing. How how do you connect to 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 the soldiers today? Uh, Yousef just text me as as we get closer to the end of, of uh -huh. our interview. But I definitely you know we uh -huh. we gonna share some more. Get oh yeah, we got talk. But, we got, uh, I got a lot to talk for you, baby. But. Uh, like the Nipsies and the Cody's. Nipsey uh, Hustle, how I do saw you, that picture uh, down there. How do you connect to the soldiers of today? Uh, and and, and where is the, the mindset uh, when you look at what's happening today and then the work that you're still doing and then even reaching out to, to Bunchy here, reaching out to Yousef Shakur in yeah. places like Detroit and even sitting down with a brother like me that you just met. Right. What, what's, I have no problem with that. Hmm. I mean, like minds have a way of finding themselves and finding people with like minds. Okay. All right? Because I, so I live in the desert. I can't live in the inner city because of my state of mind. We all suffer from post-traumatic syndrome. Mm. All right? Oh, man. I was beaten and tortured in New Orleans. I was captured down there. But anyway, that's another story. But there's, there's hundreds of those kind of stories that pertain to uh, black men back in the days. Now, you talk about my relationship with young black men today. Yeah. Is that... I admire them, but I abhor the insensitive ways they have about dealing with the people. The needs of the people, we had put, we had messed around and put the party ahead of the people. Hmm. We said, I got full of ourselves and start loving our leaders and forgetting about the people we work for. Hmm. You know? Never forget who you work for. You work, I work for the people. When the split in the party came, I told him, I don't work for Huey Newton. I don't work for Bobby Seals. You know, I joined the Black Panther Party for self-defense. I'm a servant of the people. I work for the people. Not individuals, not egos, not come see me. I never wanted to be popular. I just wanted to do that work. Wow. I wanted to put in the work that needed to be put in in order to enhance and build this organization that's gonna protect our people. So when so when we think about that, like Monster Cody, yeah, and Nipsey. So Monster Cody, what's the story between the relationship you all have? I, I you know, I never met him, nor did I, uh, I meet Nipsey Hustle, but I knew Nipsey's mentor, hmm. who was my comrade, Roland Freeman. Mm -hmm. Roland Freeman used to uh, was the head of this organization that took juveniles from the courthouse, young black men, yeah. that was supposed to be incorrigible. Nipsey Hussle was one of those kids. Mm -hmm. He would go to the juvenile hall when other people 
would give up on these kids yeah. and let them go into the system, end up in the California Youth Authority. Next thing you know, they're in the prison system. All right? Nipsey was, was saved by Roland. Yeah. Him and numerous young black men. Yeah. He went to him because it's the stuff that he learned in the party. And that enlightenment and just knowing how to relate to the soldiers. Information is the raw material for new ideas. <laughs> All right? Yeah. And education, you have to circulate that information. Mm. And education was key. Yeah. That's what the Black Panther Party newspaper is about, to educate. Even through Emory's drawings, that was an educational piece. Deep. All right? Deep. And so. uh, we, were, we, were, we were young. Mm-hmm. And we understood what was happening around us. And being able to break it down on why things are like they were. Because the most and the average young black man and woman don't know why things are the way they are. Yeah. There's a history behind it. Yeah. You know? Don't tell me you do research because you got all your fucking inf- Excuse me. Oh, no, no. You can, hey, hey. This you know, is, you uh, got all your information from YouTube or, this, this or Google. Uh, you know, you got to... You got to do that research. Yeah. You got to read. Yeah. You got to go to the library. Mm-hmm. You got to seek out people to do those interviews. Yeah. Don't give me sound bites. I don't want that. Where did you get that sound bite? And where's the root of that sound bite? Where did it come from? Mm. Who started it? You know? Don't bring a subject up that you can't totally explain. Okay? Yeah. And call that you educate me. <laughs> hey, I love talking at you. I know we short. Yeah, I, I want you to, if, if people want to get in contact with you, uh, how do they go about getting in contact with you uh, and reach out and, and get some more of this game that you're giving and, and support I'm some available, of your I'm available, brother. I'm available. Okay. You know, uh, my name, I, C-D-H-R-H-T at, I just got this, damn, at uh, iPhone. No, it's at, is it, is iPod. It, okay iPod.com. Okay. Well, I'm going to definitely have that on the screen, too, so people know how to connect. Yeah, we'll connect. It. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, you one of the three that uh, Yousef done connected me with, and uh, and it's good, man. It's powerful. Yeah. After downstairs, I met him in 1969. Oh, man, that's 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 a right. lifetime friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all cut from the same cloth. Mm. When they brought me to San Francisco, on this murder charge in 2007, all right? Mm. They take me to San Francisco, but in the middle of the night, they take me out of that jail and take me to another jail, San Mateo, which is not in the county. San Francisco is a whole different city. But my charge in San Francisco, mm-hmm. they divided us and separated us so we couldn't talk, okay? And we all go to the hole. I mean, it's like taking me from my front door, out my living room, yeah. And take me. I got booked in jail, not through the booking procedure, but from my cell in the hole. Wow. They came and took my pictures, took all of that. And I hadn't seen these cats in 30 or 40 years. But when we get together, it's like yesterday. It's like when they got me to San Francisco, when the first people that came to visit me was Arthur Lee. And I hadn't seen him in almost 40 years. Wow. And uh, I didn't even recognize my brother. Mm. All right. Yeah. And uh, all we did was rekindle. That's that's powerful. All right. I'm gonna let y'all talk. Thank you so much. I'm available, man.
Thank you. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.